This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. Well, amen. Thank you, Justin, and thank you, Bridgeway. It's great to see you this morning. It's good to be together here, as well as welcome those of you who are joining us online as well today. i got to be honest with you, I'm still a little bit of buzz from last week and our baptism service and just, oh, just such, a, such an incredible morning of seeing, witnessing life change in the individuals in our church. I kept my words very brief last week because we had some rain and some weather coming, but I do want to say again, uh, thank you so much for being a part of our church. I'm so grateful to be a part of this community. And as I said last week, um, it's also our birthday. In fact, September 17th, so yesterday, Bridgeway turned, get this, 22 years old. I got to tell you, you look pretty good for 22. Yeah, you can put your hands together for that as well. I tell you, I love the church that God has blessed us with, and I couldn't be more excited about our future together. And I want to talk a little bit about that this morning, because our future is ultimately a collection of how well together we trust God. And so as many of you know, this fall really kind of marks the beginning of us venturing down a path of a 10-year vision that we believe God has kind of whispered into the life of our church. And we're being really clear that this fall, it's just about two core initiatives. All we want to talk about uh, until we get this right is about our discipleship, number one, growing in what it means to be like Christ. And then two, our service, our service to the world around us, rolling up our sleeves and doing the work that God has called us to as a community. And this message today is really all about this idea of discipleship. Because as disciples, we're really called by God to live generous lives. That's kind of the calling that's been placed upon us, to go into the world and to be generosity in every corner that we find ourselves. And today, I specifically want to talk about our financial generosity. Now, I know, I know, some of you immediately are already thinking, Where are the exits to this room? Like, how do I get out of this place? And others of you might even already be offended. You might be thinking, hey, come on, pastor, is that all you see me as? Just a big walking dollar sign? Don't you know I'm more than a bank account? And I know, I get it. You're generous in so many ways. In fact, I look and I see in our church, I see so much generosity. I see generosity of of time. Many people give of their time. Uh, They give a listening ear. They care for people. They bring meals to each other. And you see kind of this, this level of generosity with time. Many of you, you volunteer. You volunteer in your schools. You volunteer in your neighborhoods. You, you volunteer. You coach your kids' rocket football team. You volunteer and you serve here. In fact, uh, Sundays wouldn't happen without so many people that serve and, and volunteer here in this church. And to that, again, I want to say as your pastor, thank you so much. But today, I really want to challenge you in this area of financial generosity, your giving, your tithes, your offerings. Some of you, again, are like, Pastor, why would you ruin a perfectly good Sunday? In fact, I want to just give you two challenges this morning that God has been working in my life on for a number of months. And I know when God's working in me, he really means that for our community. And so I just simply want to give you Two challenges, and I'm going to give you the first one right at the very beginning. Two thoughts that God has laid on my heart. And the first is very simply to support the local church. That means this church. If you're a part of Bridgeway, if you call Bridgeway your home, then biblically there's a precedent to support 
your local church. Now, if you're here today, <laughs> and today is, you're just a visitor, and you showed up today, the money talk, you know, and you're sitting here thinking, great, I was just visiting today. I want to let you know this message is not for you. This does give you an insight into our heartbeat and what we're about, but we're just so grateful that you're here as our visitor today. Maybe you're here today and you're from another church. I would tell you the same thing. If you're just visiting with us this Sunday, I would tell you, go back to your church and support your local church. Maybe you're online this morning, and I want to say the same challenge to you, because I know that it's very easy when you're online to just consume content, right? We all do that. I mean, there's a thing called binge-watching, right? And we can all do that and even do that with church. And I would say to you, support your local church. And the reason I feel so passionately about this is the church is the hope of the world. And there is no organization like it. In fact, the church is the greatest opportunity for a person to experience salvation, to go from death to life, to go from a path headed towards hell to redemption and a path towards heaven. In fact, in many ways, last week, the baptism service was, was experiencing that, was seeing and hearing these stories of individuals that have made that decision. Now, don't get me wrong, there are other organizations that do great work that provide justice and humanitarian efforts, but the church alone is different. Only in the church are you offered Jesus. Do you have an opportunity to experience Jesus unfiltered, unapologetic, and exclusively the path and the way to God? In fact, Jesus would teach that we're not only to be a part of a church, but we're to share in the church's sufferings, to share in everything that's going on in the church, to care for the church. Jesus ultimately came and he died for the church. He taught that the gates of hell could not, would be coming against the church and that they would not prevail. And Jesus also promised that he's coming back for his bride, the church. Some of you still might be thinking, well, pastor, my, my giving is private. What I choose to give to the church is between me and God. And I want to tell you, if, you, if that's you this morning, I respect that. In fact, I honor that. Uh, I'm involved in a lot of the financial areas of our church when it comes to finances and expenses, uh, but I've never once um, ever had insight and a look into anyone's individual giving. Uh, I, I would never do that. In fact, I only know what one person in this church gives. I know what one person makes and one person gives, and that's me, and that's enough for me to worry about. I respect your privacy that way. And so I just want to simply give you a challenge that's really meant for you in your heart to work out with God. In fact, a lot of this message comes from a place of me just examining my own teaching. I was looking at my teaching about a year ago, and I felt like when I, I looked at this area that Jesus talked about so much money, I found that my teaching as your pastor fell far short. In fact, if you look at how much Jesus talked about money, it's astonishing. In fact, there are 38 parables in the scriptures 16 of them directly deal with money. One theologian said that of all the teachings of Jesus, about 25% of them have to do with money. That means that if you came to a church that Jesus led every month, once a month, one time, you would hear a message on financial giving. And I have chosen not to talk that much about it because I know how it is. Some people, they come to church and that's all they think the church cares about. Oh, pastor, all you want is my money. That's all the church cares about, is my money. And I do know that there are churches that operate that way, but this morning, I would not want you to take that from this message. This is not a message 
out of desperation. In fact, we are actually doing really well as a church financially. We're a little bit behind our budget, but that's very common coming out of the summer months. This is not a business update this morning. In fact, if it were a business update, I wouldn't even be up here. I would have invited my my good buddy, Jose Rubio. If you know Jose, uh, he's a whiz-bang with spreadsheets and graphs and charts. He, he will just make your eyes water with our balance sheet. I mean, he's just really, really good at that. But that is not the intention of this message this morning. I think in many ways, that's almost an easier message. I know if I got up here and I said, hey, friends, we've got, we've got a goal. We've got to meet X dollars by X day, or we've got a cause that we're trying to come alongside I think in many ways that'd be an easier message because I know your hearts and you would rally to meet that goal. But today is different. I'm not talking about paying the bills at Bridgeway. I'm not talking about survival this morning. In fact, what I want to do is I want to challenge you to give in order to expand our reach and to change our world. So the first thing that I often get asked as a pastor is, well, pastor, how do I give? So I wanted to be crystal clear this morning, if you have any questions on how to give to Bridgeway, I've put together um, some ways in which you can give. First, it's through our website. You can go to bridgewaycommunity.org. Right on the front page, it says give. You can click on that button and be give your journey in giving. You can use, as Justin mentioned, the Bridgeway app. You can use the QR code. You can set up a one-time or a recurring gift. That's probably the most common ways in which people give. I put in the middle of the screen kind of this idea of contact your bank. This is the way Sean and I I have given for as long as we've been online. Um, we pay our bills online. You can simply set up your church as a payee. Beauty of that is there's no fee to me in my bank account. There's no fee to the church. There is a slight fee we pay with the app and with the website. Uh, but it's just it's a simple way to give. Um, you can go old school. You can give cash or check. Cash, kids, that's not Venmo. That's actually the, the green stuff that some people have in their wallet. And you can go all the way back to 2020, and you can uh, go out in the hallway. We've got giving boxes that are safes. They've got envelopes. You can put your gift right in there and uh, give that securely that way. And then finally, I get asked often, hey, pastor, I've got stock that is appreciated that I'd like to give to the church, or maybe you've got some cryptocurrency. We actually have a brokerage account set up that we can receive those sort of gifts as well, and you can just simply contact the church, and we can set you up. Uh, with our financial advisor and our account. So, with that said, take a deep breath, would you, this morning? Take a deep breath for me, at least. Some of you look like you're holding your breath. Now, your logical question, after all of this information, would be great. Thanks, Pastor. That's really good information. But can I get a verse with that? <laughs> I mean, is there somewhere in Scripture that talks about this? And so, I want to show you a place in Scripture that, if I'm honest as your pastor, I've been dodging this story. For a long time. In fact, I didn't even feel up until a couple months ago that I, I really had any insight from the Lord on this text. It is an extremely challenging text. And so if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 5 this morning. And if you're not familiar with the book of Acts, the book of Acts is, is really the start of the church. It comes right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. And Acts is all about how the church gets started. Jesus has lived He's died on the cross, he's resurrected and gone to, and now ascended to heaven, and he's left with the early church, he's left them with this mission to go into all the world and to preach this message of love. And up until Acts chapter 5, everything for the first church is going perfect, couldn't be going better. I mean, they are just literally crushing it in every area until 
this one issue comes up, and I want you to see this issue, and it all has to do with money. So Acts chapter 5, and I'm actually going to start a few verses before chapter 5 in the end of chapter 4, starting in verse 36 with these words. It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now pause here just for a moment because there's a lot of words here. First of all, we're dealing with one guy. His name is Barnabas. Uh, all week long, I've been calling him Barney in my study time. So if I slip and call him Barney this morning, Barnabas, Barney, he's also called Joseph. This is a man who clearly has too many first names. He sells a piece of property, right? And he brings the proceeds of that sale. It clears, he's given the check. He brings it to the church and he places it at the apostles, at the pastor's feet. Now chapter five, watch what happens. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter, he's the pastor, said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not just lied to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Rut-row. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. I bet it did. Every now and then I'll get someone say to me, Pastor, we need to be more biblical. We need to get back to the early church. Really? Uh, this is kind of a crazy story in the early church, isn't it? i got to be honest, I look at your faces and you don't like this story. How would you like to be me up here preaching this story, right? But I'll tell you, this is one of those places in Scripture that, that you can honestly say, this is how I can trust the Bible. Because think about this. If the Bible wanted to make Christians look really good, it just would simply keep this story out. I mean, why would you tell this story? You would just simply say, Barney sold a plot of land, gave it all to the church, and they lived happily ever after, right? And you love that story. But the Bible doesn't do that because the Bible is true, and it's not afraid to even out its own, right? Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property, kept some of it back, and pretended like they gave it all, and they were snuffed out, right? Like, that's in the scriptures, and it's shocking, it's jarring, it's alarming, whatever you want to call it. And especially if you had any idea who Ananias and Sapphira were, I mean, they were, they were Jews through and through. So they, they would have had a long-standing tradition of following God. In fact, their names are Jewish. Ironically, Ananias means God is gracious. And Sapphira, her Jewish name means beautiful, like a beautiful child of God. 
They were Jews that became followers of, of Jesus. They knew all the scriptures on tithing and giving. They probably witnessed Jesus die on the cross. They probably saw him post-resurrection. And they would have witnessed all of this. And then they make this one mistake, this one very fatal error. And I said, the church is doing really well at this point. I mean, the background of the church is it couldn't be going better. In fact, this guy, Peter, who's the pastor at the time, he's had kind of his misgivings, but now he seems to be kind of on fire for the Lord. He's a pastor. He preaches his first message, and boom, 3,000 people get saved. He preaches his next message, boom, 5,000 people get saved. And the church is growing. It's multi-ethnic. It's multi-generational. People are selling their possessions, living communally, and they're making sure that there are no needs that go unmet in the church. And then Ananias comes along. And he tries to appear as if he's just like Barnabas. Sells the plot of land, gives the property, but he has this little conversation with his wife. Hey, if anyone asks, tell them this is what we sold the house, the property for. Well, somebody asks. Peter asks, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart, right? Liar, liar, pants on fire. I'll oftentimes get people come up to me and they'll say, hey, Pastor, do you know what so-and-so is doing? Do you know what so-and-so is up to? And, and I always say, shame on you. Like, if you got an issue with someone, Matthew 18, you should go talk to that person. And I don't need to be your moral police. I mean, I see it right here in Scripture that, that really God is this discerning body at work in the church. And so then Ananias falls face down and dies. And then his wife, three hours later, is this the price you paid? Yes, liar, second funeral in the church, right? It's a, it's a really busy day at this first church, isn't it? And I, I could tell you that there have been more books probably written on this story than any other story in Scripture. In fact, you could fill libraries. I, I read as many commentaries as I could, and this story, I've never seen so much criticism about a story. In fact, we call it... Um, textual criticism, uh, things that kind of get at the text, like who ultimately killed Ananias and Sapphira? Uh, it doesn't say that God struck him down. Maybe, maybe Ananias there had a heart condition, right? And his conscience was struck and uh, croak right there, right? And, but we all know that God is the author of life. He determines when you take your first and your last breath. There are other criticisms about, well, who, who does Peter think he is? I mean, seems a little self-righteous, right? I mean, how would you like it if you came to church and you put your offering, you know, in the box, and, and I was standing there, right? <laughs> and I was like, is that, is that enough? That, that seems kind of light, doesn't it? You know, and you'd be like, Pastor, well, what do you think you're doing shaking me down at church? You know, how much did you put in there, right? And, and you would say, that just seems really self-righteous of this guy. And then maybe the hardest question to answer is, is why is there no opportunity for repentance? I mean, it doesn't get any opportunity to to repent from this. There's no opportunity to say, I'm sorry, or to have a second chance. And this is the part that I struggled so much for the last year or more with this text. And while there are a lot of questions that we can't answer, I do think there are some things that we're called to focus on that this text clearly teaches, not about Ananias and Sapphira, but clearly teaches us about God. So a few things that I think this text highlights. Number one is the fact that God is holy. God is holy and all sin before a holy God is offensive. I was thinking this week about this story being about financial sin, but, but then I was confronted with all my sin 
I mean, I got financial sin, but all of my sin is offensive before God. It reminded me of that story in Isaiah, where Isaiah gets this glimpse into the throne room, into the heavenly realm. I think it's Isaiah chapter 6, and and he sees, and there's these angels flying around, and they're all singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. And it's the same vision that John gets when he sees heaven. And he sees these angels flying around, and they're singing the same song. And, and you know the stories then kind of add up to this is what it appears in the throne room of heaven. But Isaiah says something. He, he says something with his words. He says, woe is me, a man of unclean lips. See, I think there's a point in which we all have to come face to face with our sin before a holy God. Second thing this text teaches us is that God will protect his church, even if that means extreme measures. And I thought about this a lot because this story, this church, I mean, this church is actually just getting off the ground. And I know, I know, this story does not play well. You don't like this story. I I don't like the story either about two people coming to church and then croaking at the offering plate like that is just not that does not play well in the church right but how would you feel about a church that's supposed to be the hope of the world and a god who just sort of looks the other way at this sin just kind of looks so you don't like hearing the story of ananias and sapphira dying and being buried outside the church but how could you trust and how could you put your life in the hands of a god who just turned his eye to hypocrisy and to lying. This teaches us that God will protect his church. Last thing this teaches is really about how God cares most about your heart. He cares most about your heart, even more than about your money. And this is the hard part for me because I read this story and I still ask money questions. Like Ananias, seriously, how much was it? You notice the text doesn't tell us, doesn't give us any of those details. And I'm, I'm fixated on that. Like how much was it? Ananias, did you what was your deal? Was it like 60-40, 60% to the church, 40% for you? That's still a lot of money for the church. Was it 70, 30? Did he sell it for 50 grand and keep back 20? Did he keep back 10? And, and I don't care how you play this out. Did he keep back a grand? Did he get snuffed out for $1,000? And that's why you read this, and no matter where you get to, you have to get to the point That the story is not about the money. It's all about the heart. It's about the issues of the heart. And Ananias and Sapphira clearly had issues. They had issues of the heart. They loved money. They lied about how much money they had. Then they conspired together in how much money they were keeping. And then probably the the worst part is just the hypocrisy, right? They want to appear more spiritually mature than what they really are. Oh, yeah, we're just, like, we're just like Barney. We're just like him. And we see this story, and there's just these issues after issues. They were united in, in conspiracy, and therefore they were united in judgment. And I think the hardest part about this story is they missed out on an opportunity to live generous, where God is the owner, and God gives us the opportunity to be the steward of all of his resources And to support the local church that, in this case, was doing so much to grow the kingdom. Now, I'll just tell you, I know that when it comes to money, a lot of our beliefs about money and how we save and how we spend and how we give is is probably they're transferable. They're, They're transferable from how we grew up and and likely then how we train the next generation. And that's why I'm so excited to share this message this morning because I came from a household where 
giving and generosity just wasn't modeled. In fact, um, uh, my mom was a single mom for most of my childhood. She raised me and she raised my sister and and I watched her just kind of, you know, scrape to keep things together and to keep us afloat. And so it wasn't modeled for me this opportunity to be generous. And it really wasn't until I met my girlfriend, now wife, Sean, and her upbringing was different. It was modeled for her that that's just how it is. And what a beautiful thing that I could learn generosity, how God could take in a marriage someone who has uh, an area of weakness and pair them up with someone who has an area of strength and together to be a force for good in the kingdom. And so a number of years ago, we did something that was, that was important. It was important to me especially as we, we took our checks and we actually had them printed uh, with a verse on them, Psalm 24, verse 1. And that verse is, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And I just remember that was a really big thing for me because money is hard earned and it doesn't grow on trees. And, and now I hardly ever write a check, but when I would write a check, I would be reminded that this is not my money, this is the Lord's money. And, and I have an awful lot. I have, I have a lot. I have a lot of kids. I have a big family. I have a lot of expenses. But I have a lot of resources that God has entrusted to me in this life. Now, you might have your reasons as well. Maybe for me it was security. Maybe for you it's scarcity. You just look at what you have and it just doesn't seem to be enough. And so you, you try to make you know, sense of it. Like, how is this going to work? If I give some of it, how am I going to survive? In fact, I mean, there's scarcity all over right now, right? I mean, are we in a recession? Seems like we can't even agree on that right now. Um, are we facing these rising costs? Most definitely. CPI was at a record high last Friday and rising interest rates. I mean, there's a lot of reason to be fearful and fall into the trap of scarcity. That's one reason. Another reason is maybe you just have wants. Maybe you look at your consumer needs and you're like, well, I still, I want stuff. I, I want this or I want that. And, and that's the way in which God is needing to work in your heart. Maybe you've got regrets. Maybe you've got regrets. You've given money in the past and, and whether it was to the church or to another organization, it just didn't seem to it just didn't seem to, to go, or maybe you're unfulfilled in how that gift went. Maybe, maybe you're suspicious about giving. I think this is maybe the, the unspoken reason. People are just suspicious about their giving, and they don't know, if I give this money, will, will it be used wisely, be used in the ways in which I'm wanting it to? And those are all things that I would challenge you to bring before God so that you can live generous. I think this whole story is just so interesting, right? It's so odd. It all gets off the rails because of money. Two people just sifted by the enemy, all because of money, and yet it started out so pure. I mean, both, both stories. Barnabas selling a plot of land, giving it to the church, and then Ananias and Sapphira selling their land to give it to the church. It started off so pure, and it can remain that way as well. Sometimes I'll get asked as a pastor, you know, kind of these hypothetical questions. You know, pastor, if if money were no object and someone won the lottery and gave it all to the church, I'd be like, what would you do? How would you, how, how would you, you know, invest that in the kingdom? And, and this is just me up here this morning. I'm not sharing uh, on behalf of the elder team. This isn't like a well-structured, thought-out plan. But, but I often dream about what we could do potentially here in this space. And many of you know I've just been so, uh, just so blessed by what God has done uh, through this building and the ways in which we've seen him grow our community. And yet we're far from done. In fact, this campus is only really about 50% developed. We have plans 
both outside as well as inside. In fact, um, a few of you, uh, last week when we were at our baptism service, it rained and you came inside and, and many people asked me, so what's, what's behind that door? And they were pointing to the big open space. We call that phase two. We've got about another 20,000 square feet of, of just undeveloped space here on site in this building. And I love taking people back there. And, and I don't see the dirt. I don't see the rust on the ceilings. I see opportunity for ministry. I see this opportunity for us to engage our community and our culture and the people around us. I see, I see an opportunity for a kitchen and, and meals to be made to serve people here in our community and, and maybe even for people outside of our community to use our kitchen. I see a gathering space where we can get medium-sized groups of people, 50 to 100, for banquets and weddings and funerals. I see, <laughs> I see office space. You probably don't know this, but our, our staff actually operates not out of an office. They operate out of a closet. It's really kind of a closet space that they're in, and, and I see us having a better way in which we can do ministry with our office space for our staff. I look outside, and I see, and maybe you can't see because it's overgrown, but we've got a pavilion outdoors, and I would love for that to be developed into an outdoor uh, just area for worship and weddings and and just outdoor events, both for us as well as for our community. A number of years ago, this was kind of a hard thing to get over because playing music outside was a bit of a, an issue with our neighbors. And now we can thank Third Nature because they play music all the time. And so they've kind of like warmed people up to the idea, just an opportunity to keep growing through our reach here. I would continue to invest in technology. We learned from 2020 that church online and the ability to not just put out content, but to actually connect people to the life of the church is important and matters. Finally, we're a church plant, so if you ask me what I would do is I would continue to think about how we can plant churches, how we can multiply Bridgeway into other communities. Maybe it looks a little differently. I think now in this day and age, kind of the, the idea of maybe a micro church, starting a church of six or eight or ten people, and they're gathered together in someone's living room, or they're meeting in a coffee shop, and they're using our platform and our content to connect in ways that honor and grow their faith. There's so many ways in which we can grow our church. I promised you two challenges this morning. The second one is not just to support your local church, but I think it's going to take a declaration. And I want to challenge you this morning to make a declaration with your life to live generous. Maybe you just wake up every morning and this becomes your prayer. God, help me today to live generous. And that's going to require maybe a, a supernatural work inside of you. Because you know you, you know that you're prone to, to consume or you're prone to protect and hold your resources back. And you just make this your prayer every day. God, give me opportunities to live generous. Give me opportunities to expand my reach. And this is going to take you, God. Maybe you take a verse and you write it on a card. Maybe you post it on your mirror. You know, that way you see it every morning, every day. And you make a declaration to live generous. I think there's so much potential and so much opportunity for us to live open-handed. Let's be the kind of church that uses our influence to reach others through generosity. If you would bow your heads and pray with me, please. God, I just thank you. I thank you for the ways in which you truly are holy. And yet you invite us, you call us into this life of walking with you and having spiritual eyes open and wide to see you the ways in which we can live generously and change your world, God. God, I pray you would do a work that is far beyond anything I've said this morning, that you would work in the human hearts for transformation, complete and full 
in a way in which honors and glorifies you. So God, we love you and we're gonna sing to you now. It's in your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide.